Alrighty guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. This week on the show, we have a very, very interesting guest for you. His name is Tony Sentmanat, okay? Now you can find this guy uh, on Instagram, his social media link is realworld underscore tactical. This man is a US Marine Corps vet. He's also a special weapons and tactics uh, uh, dude. I'm just going to go for dude there. And uh, he's, he's got a program. So he goes online real strength training. Uh, and it's, it's geared towards uh, helping people with their, with, their, with their functional training, with, their, with uh, anything sort of defense related. And uh, it's, really, it's really cool. He's, um, he's, a, he's a big boy. <laughs> he's, uh, he's quite the intimidating uh, individual, but he's, he's a real legend. So um, we had him on the show. We discussed everything from um, what it was like to be in the Marine Corps, what it was like, and all the missions he did with, uh, with the SWAT. He wasn't able to mention uh, very specific details because obviously uh, there are there are rules and, and uh, regulations associated with that. But uh, we did get a, a ton of cool to- uh, content from him, and I'm just currently watching a video of him deadlifting about a million kilograms. So uh, uh, I don't know if it's pounds or it's kilograms, but uh, one of the two. I'm sure they're both realistic. Um, in any case, guys, it's it's really really interesting. Um, yeah, Jesus, he's a big boy. <laughs> he uh, he's he's quite a big. But yeah, all right. Anyway, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Guys, we are brought to you by Quash Creative. Quash Creative is an Elwood-based freelance design firm. It's run by our mate Sean Marsh, who I recently, uh, who I recently um, emailed in response to getting my own stuff, uh, stuff organized, and it's, uh, it's fantastic. So his, uh, his sole aim is to solve business challenges with creative solutions, uh, whether that solution is a new website, uh, it's a logo, or a marketing strategy. If you come in with a problem, He'll, uh, he'll, he'll solve it for you. He's really good, guys. So what you want to do is head to www.quashcreative.com. Mention AdventureFit Radio. Shawnee will give you a free basic SEO report on your website or feedback. And, uh, and you can head uh, you can go on from there. So, so fantastic stuff down at quashcreative.com, guys. We are also brought to you by Audible. Now, Audible, I have just started reading guys. Oh, hang on. Let me just check what I've started reading because I can't even fucking remember what I've started reading. So let me just head to Audible. There he is. Audible. Good. And I have just started reading The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. That's right. Clearly it hasn't been amazing. That's good. By uh, by Dan Millman. So that, guys, is a book about a uh, about how to just live life in the moment, how to get everything from it, how to be super successful, whatever that is you want to do. Guys, Audible is a is an online audiobook library of about four thousand trillion billion books out there. Um, it's fantastic. If you're into fiction, jump on there. If you're into nonfiction, jump on there. If you're into anything that you read, jump on there. That was a weird way to end it. <laughs> Head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF and you will get yourself a free monthly credit when you subscribe. I use that. Bill uses that. A ton of my mates use it. Um, it's fantastic. Tim Ferriss uses it. Obviously, Tim Ferriss is a uh, one of my best mates. He was uh, the best man at my wedding. So, um, yeah, by the way, I'm married. <laughs> so, uh, head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF. Guys, finally, we are brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel, mother company of Adventure Fit Radio. Uh, Bill just got back from the Kokoda trip and they uh, they kicked off the end with a dawn service. It was fantastic from all reports. I got back a couple of weeks ago from Bali and the Gili Islands. We also did Mexico. We have a ton of cool trips coming up for you. Anything Adventure Fit related, head to www.adventurefittravel.com. Use the promo code radio 
and you can get 10% off some cool gear there. So head to www.adventure for travel. Without further ado, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today we are with Tony Sentmanat from Real World Tactical, uh, coming to us live from uh, from Miami. Before we throw to Tony and welcome him to the show, we are going to swing to Tommy to start us off as usual with a little Tommy's tribute. <laughs> All righty, welcome aboard, Tony. Uh, see how we go. I thought love was only true in fairy tales. And then I found out Saint Bernard was real Now he's on the show And he's ready to go I had a dream last night and he flew in the window But then I saw his face And now I'm a believer Tony's scary as fuck I hope he doesn't bend me over And he's the man, ooh I'm a believer I can believe her if I try. Welcome aboard to the show. Hey Tony, that I apologize. I apologize for that, man. That was um, <laughs> yeah. Tommy's. Tommy's. Um, Tommy's done a couple of tributes in the last <laughs> couple of shows that have been. Uh, he's hit them for six. They've been absolutely fantastic. And that one was. Um, that one's pretty poor. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was actually really good. Yeah, no, nah, it was good. So, Tony, thanks for coming on the show, man. Why don't you um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Uh, well, I'm the owner, uh, director of operations for a company called Real World Tactical. Real World Tactical is based out of South Florida. Uh, it pretty much encompasses firearms training, uh, tactical training, and also strength conditioning or combat, what I would call my program, which is high-intensity combat athlete training. Um, you know, amongst other sponsored, you know, things uh, become, you know, I've been sponsored as an athlete for many companies, but that's the gist of it, pretty much. Right, okay. And then, um, so how did that all come about? Like, how did you how did you get to the point where you have real-world tactical, you're teaching people and training people in all these different facets? Like, you were a, well, yeah, why don't you tell us how it all got to that point? I, well, I started off... Um, Back in 1998, I uh, I got into the Marines. I was in the Marine Corps for four years. I did. Uh, I was a firearms. I ended up being a firearms instructor and a close combat instructor there. Um, then from there, I transferred into law enforcement. Uh, did uh, 15 years in law enforcement, and most of the, my career, I was also a firearms instructor, 
defensive tactics instructor, and also uh, I was in SWAT operations most of my career. So um, that, my background, uh, pretty much led me to start the company just because of the way that the law enforcement has gone over the last, you know, three or four years. Uh, I knew that I had about four or five years left um, to retire, and um, I wanted to start a company just part-time to make extra money. Mm -hmm. And obviously social media nowadays um, spiraled out of control mm. uh, and I was able to financially uh, retire early from law enforcement and start the company and do pretty much do the company full time. Mm -hmm. uh, it okay. started, I mean, I would tell you like this, it, it pretty much started, uh, I've been in mixed martial arts probably, I don't know, most of my life since I was about four or five years old. So I've been doing it for a very, very long time. I decided one day, um, I started off the Instagram um pretty much as a just a page for my training company. And one day I decided to post up a video of me uh, doing some mixed martial arts training or some combat training. The video consisted of me um, squatting with uh, 315 pounds while two professional fighters, one world champion fighter and the other professional fighter, kicked me in my stomach while I was squatting. Jeez. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 something I've been doing, or something that fighters do for have been doing for many many years. It's just pretty much core hardening or core training. Yeah. Uh, so I've done it for so many years. It's just normal training to me. I didn't think anything of it when I first posted it. Thought it, I thought all people did that, like all fighters. Yeah. Do you know? Apparently, the social media never seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, nobody had ever seen it before. So the video went viral. Um, everybody, all of the, the biggest like fitness pages and mixed martial arts pages posted it. Um, and my page grew like substantially and within a week or two. Um, so I kind of like, was like, wow, I might have something here. Mm -hmm. So I just continued to post up my, uh, my training videos and, um, we are here today. Yeah. Okay. Mm, awesome. Uh, amazing. So. Well, let's take it back to um, so you were uh, you were in the Marine Corps and then and then you were um, you're also a cop on the street in Miami, right? So, what was um, like what was that experience like being on the beat in Miami? I'm sure you would have been through a a whole bunch of um, ups and downs there. Like, how would you kind of surmise the whole experience? Um, well, down here in South Florida, Miami, the crime rate is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of crime. Um, I worked for a city in in Miami-Dade County. It's the fifth largest city in the state of Florida. Um, right. It's the heart of pretty much the county, which it, uh, it floods with crime because all of the bad neighborhoods literally surround it, since it's in the heart, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so needless to say, my 15 years were filled with um, <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah, a lot yeah. of our, uh, very busy days and very busy nights, you know, 80 hour work weeks, especially I was on SWAT most of my career. So I was on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it was very busy, um, consisted of a lot of, um, uses of force, a lot of, uh, car chases, a lot of fights, a lot of shootings, a lot of, uh, just a whole bunch of stuff, you know, um, but and that, and I guess that was another reason why I started the company. I, it got to a point where after about ten or eleven years, I had been through some civil lawsuits, mm -hmm. um, and because of things that I had been in, mm -hmm. and it was just it, I had gotten older already, and it was just time to slow down a little bit. I guess you could say, uh, and it's kind of hard because once you turn that switch on um, in police work, uh, it's hard to switch it off. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine. Did you ever? Yeah. Um, was there ever a time? Um, I get fascinated by. Um, we we spoke to a, a police officer uh, from New York who was around through the eighties on one of our shows um, a while back, and it, it's fascinating to me to like kind of get into the mindset of a of a cop. Like, did you ever feel out of your depth at any stage? Like maybe when you were starting out and you thought, "Oh, what have I got myself into?" Because obviously Miami, um, like you said, lots and lots of crime, lots of probably drugs. I, I would imagine. Like, um, was there any a time where you were kind of felt out of your depth, or you think you were kind of just no? I mean. Every police officer goes through that. I mean, uh, the first couple of years, I would say the first two years, every cop uh, goes through a transition where they get into something where they don't they don't know the laws that well. Yep. Uh, and, and then they, they feel like they don't know what to do or how to do it or, you know, this is a case at all, man. I don't, I don't know what, I, what, you know, I don't know the laws that well, so I don't know if I can arrest this guy, if I can or I can't, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then you go about three or four years on, Five years on them, but by the time you hit five years on, depending on the, obviously, I would say depending on where you work at and depending on how busy it is, um, you you pretty much if it's a busy city like the one I was in, you know, uh, you you come on shift. I, I used to work afternoon shift at that time, and you come on shift and there's three or four calls waiting for you, and when you clear one, there's two or three more calls holding. Yeah, and you clear one, and it just it's just the whole entire night. All you're doing is going from call to call to call to call to call. It's about four or five years on, you've been, you've been exposed to so much. It just becomes just a, a routine for you. Becomes second um, nature. Yeah, yeah. It just, you know, and um, I'll tell you like this: it, the first time that you ever get into what we, what we call um, uh, clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the technical, first time you is a fuck. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, you're in a shitstorm. It's um, yeah. you pick up a car, a bolo car, an armed robbery subject, or home invasion subject. You get into a car chase. Um, you're behind the car, you're chasing the car forever. I don't know many, how many minutes or whatever the car, you end up pitting the car or the car crashes. They bail out. You're running after them. You either catch them or you beat, or not only say you beat the crap out of them, but you catch them and you get into a use of force. Mm-hmm. Um, and they fight back or, or you, you know, the, the worst case scenario would be you get into a shooting. Yes. Um, when you finish the whole entire scene, when you're doing everything you're doing, all your mindset, I mean, it gets to a point where your mindset is just catch the bad guy, catch the bad guy. Yep. Do whatever you have to do to catch this guy, no matter what happens, you got to catch him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's your first instinct. Um, then when it's all said and done and the smoke clears and you step back and you're next to your car and it might be crashed, it might not, um, and the other cars crashed and there's a million cops everywhere and there's people everywhere and you look around – and you realize, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> you get, you realize, how am I going to be able to sit back and write all this up now? Yeah. Because see, what people don't realize is it's not like the movies. Yeah. You, you you get into those 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 scenarios. You get into these things. Um. And in the movies, you get into it, and then five minutes later, the, the scene cuts, and the guy's right back at work, and he's like, yeah. So what's the next? What's the next thing we're gonna do? Yeah. Doesn't work. You get into a scene like that and you're riddled with paperwork. Uh, well, it goes to two scenarios. One, if you don't get into the shooting and you don't shoot anybody, um, you're riddled with paperwork probably for the next two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be uh, – the amount of paperwork is just ridiculous. Yeah. And if you if you do end up shooting somebody or whatever, then you're pretty much going to be off at least three days right after. Right. Um, you're going to need a, a lawyer. Uh, and um, or some kind of representation. Mm. Uh, state will come in and then they'll take your gun away. They take all these things away from you. 
and you're going to be dealing with a headache for the next three days. And then depending on your department, depending on your department, um, you might go two weeks, three weeks where you're going to have to go through classes, uh, whether there are shooting classes, where this class, where that classes, you have to requalify with your pistol. And, and it's just, a, it's just a mess. It's a mess. Mm. And every single time I've ever been involved in one of those scenarios, um, you're always civilly sued. Right. Regardless. Yeah. It, regardless if it was 100% justified, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, whether you, you know, you, uh, you, let's, I'm going to say this, you know, for, for you, you end up killing the person or whatever, yep. uh, you do a justified homicide, you get sued by his family. And if you shoot the person and you don't kill him, you end up getting sued by him. Yep. So yeah. anyway, people think that, you know, you know, the people are like, Oh, you, you know, you win a gunfight in, in, in reality, there is no winning anything. No. Um, you never want to shoot somebody. You never mm. want to hurt anybody. Um, and even if you do survive the gunfight, um, some a lot of times you end up like me with shrapnel on your shoulder, shrapnel on your head, or you end up not 100%, and then you end up uh, having to deal with litigation for the next four or five years. So uh, so, so what about you know, like um, to answer um, – like you, you answered the question of obviously you, you didn't really feel out of your depth, like you, you felt relatively comfortable in that regard. But like this conversation that we're having now and you're talking about the fact of getting in gunfights if you don't get shot yourself and you survive the gunfight. Mm. Now, obviously, so that's obviously staring death in the face, basically, is what we're talking about there. Now, have you, did you have a family or a partner? Like how much of the, the risk that you'd put yourself in mm. through the SWAT, through the Marines, through, through all this, how much of that weighed on you? outside of work did you come home and like did you ever have sleepless nights or did you ever uh, how did that whole side of it work for you um i, I in regards to me i've always been pretty good in and in, in what's called disassociation yep uh, there's guys that have hard times disassociating themselves from work and uh, regular life mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times that'll happen to detectives uh detectives uh, get a really a really hard case and they bring it home with them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's a homicide, whether it's whatever it is, a home invasion. Uh, why? Because they start relating to the victims and they be, and they make it personal. Yes. Um, I've always been very good. I, I've been fortunate enough uh, to always leave work at work. Uh, and I was a detective. I was a detective for, for some time um, in, in undercover work, tactical narcotics, and, and also in robbery. So, I mean, I have, I have the experience in that um, scenario. But... I've learned always to understand that concept of, of work. You know, I always told people, um, even people that I've arrested, I always said, you know, I'll get them and, and whatever happens, use of force, this or that, whatever. They get in the back of my car and I explain to them very simply, um, this is not personal. Yeah. Nothing here is personal. This is straight business. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens to you right here, right now, uh, the guy could be bleeding, his head broken in half or whatever that you may be. And I tell him straight to his face, I go, look, man, it's very simple. You do what you do. I do what I do. Uh, if you resist, I have to do what I have to do. When you do that, um, it happens. Whatever happens ends there. I take you to jail, and I'm going to take you actually to a, an infirmary where they're going to patch you up. I'm going to take you there. Then I'm going to take you to jail, and then I'm going to come back, probably clean my car if the blood's all over my car, and then go home and sleep soundly at night. Yeah. Because it's just not personal. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of guys that can't, that don't do that. They bring it home with them. Um, and that's where it becomes a problem for your family. Uh, now where it becomes, a, where it became a problem for me sometimes was a simple fact that I was just being called out so much. 
Um, I'm eating dinner. I get called out. Two o'clock in the morning, I get called out. Saturday or Sunday, you're with the family, whatever it may be, you get called out. Mm. And you have 45 minutes to respond. That was the issue that a lot of people don't see um, when it comes to, you know, police work in regards to, like, maybe if you're in SWAT or you're in detectives where you're, you'll be on call that weekend. For sure. You know? Yeah, that would be hard for sure. So what type of... Um what type of uh, – I'm not sure if you can even answer this question. I don't know what the rules and regulations are of talking about cases. But, like, um, how much undercover work did you do and did you ever find it hard to be undercover? I've always thought I'm a terrible liar with a shit poker face and I sweat when I try and, when I try and, um, when I try and tell fibs. So, for me, I've always looked at, like, Donnie Brasco, the famous, um, the famous gangster movie with Johnny Depp about being an informer and The, the Departed, all these famous movies. Did you – yeah, how much undercover work did you do, and what can you tell us about that kind of time? Well, a lot of the undercover work that I did, I never, I was never, um, for example, a narcotics or an undercover, um, what we would call um, an actual undercover detective. Gotcha. Uh, which is a guy who actually is going to do deals with the drug drug mm. guys. The kind of undercover work that I did was, um, I was always doing surveillances. I was a guy, pretty much, if you understand, I was a guy that. This narcotics detective um, has this individual who's a subject of a high-profile kilo case, for example. He has a multi-kilo case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm the guy who's got to follow him around for freaking 17 hours and oh, build right. a case. Gotcha. Then build a case for the guy, um, see all the hand-to-hand transaction or whatever it may be. And then I'm going to be the guy who's going to take him down ultimately gotcha. and take him to jail. Um, that's pretty much what I, I did most of my stuff on. Um, now, when it comes to actual um, narcotic, undercover, nar- you know, guys that are actual real narcs, narcs, um, I had many friends, obviously, and I was close to very a lot of them, and a lot of them, they, they do get burned out, um, especially the guys who deal with in high, high-end cases. And when I mean high-end cases, I mean you have a six or seven uh, cocaine kilo deal, which is involving four or five, six hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Do enough of those and you put enough of those people in jail and it gets to the point where you have to start looking over your shoulder. Yeah. You start, you know, um, and, you know, we have individuals that were very good at that, uh, especially down in Miami. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know that the South Florida area is known for that. You could imagine. Uh, so, I mean, we would have three or four of those a week. Right. And, and, yeah. So it's, it's it was literally an everyday occurrence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, cut you off there, Tony. Just um, no. You see all these movies. So one of my favorite movies, and I'm sure you'll uh, have something to say about this because it's probably just so Hollywoodized. Is actually the movie called SWAT. I just think it was just, just. (laughs) I watched it when I was a young kid, and I just really fell in love with it. And I always thought how I'd go in those high stakes situations, how how much I'd be able to just fall back on my training when my emotions and, and adrenaline was running high. How hard is it to actually do that? Stay logical and rational and stick to protocol when you're, when you're in those sorts of situations? The best way that I can explain it to people, it's, um, it's like this. Okay, you got a guy who goes to, to work every single day, right? And he has a pencil. His pencil is a tool that he uses, right? Uh, he uses it every single day. Mm. When you're going to write on paper... You don't really think about you don't really think about grabbing that pencil and writing, right? You just grab it and just start writing. Mm. It's just natural to you. Well, police work is kind of the same thing. If you do enough operations, and I probably did in my time in 15 years, I probably did over 600 operations, close to 700. Um, wow. And uh, when you do that many, 
it becomes a kind of like a running joke um, between the team members. Uh, when you're, and, and I tell you, I've been in situations in my life where I honestly didn't think I was going to come out alive. Mm. I didn't think I was going to live through it. Um, and and, and <laughs> the only way you know how to deal with it is to laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's because you, you either laugh or cry. One of the two. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, there had been times where we'd be in front of a door and we knew the armed subject was inside that room and we literally have to kick the door in and go into that room. Yeah. Knowing the guy was inside that room, knowing that he had a gun, knowing everything, and we still have to be the guy, the three or four guys that are going to go, okay, we're going to go into that room and, and do what we have to do to get this guy because yeah. obviously – you know, he's a forcible felony subject and we've got to get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would always, you know, one of us would always start, say a joke or something. And somebody was like, you know what, bro? I quit. I quit. Really? I quit. I don't need to do this anymore. You know? Yeah. And then the other one looked back and said, you can't quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you can't quit. Yeah, yeah, you're going to do it. Yeah, you're going to go in here with me and, you know, we're going to deal with it. Yeah. It is what it is. What happens, happens. You know? Yes. Um, you don't really, if you sit and dwell on it, then it becomes an issue, you know? And then I've been, I've had a cop, I had a police officer one time, you know, many years ago where the guy, he came on a scene, uh, he was dispatched to a call where a crazy guy had a gun in his hand, walking the streets. He's the first one to get there. The crazy man has a gun in his hand. He looks at the police officer, police officer looks at him, grabs a gun, blows his brains out with the gun. Right? Uh, Police officer uh, pretty much, has to go see a psychologist for the next two or three weeks because it affected him you yeah, know, mentally. For sure. Um, you know, that happens. It happens to people. Mm. Uh, at the same time, have I seen that? Yeah, I've seen that many times. I've had quite a bit of, of guys that have, have, have shot themselves in the face uh-huh. or in the head right in front of me. Jesus. Has it affected me? No, I haven't. It hasn't affected me. I didn't, I've learned, you learn, you know, you don't, you, and that's the key there is association. Mm. You don't know the person. Don't know anything about the guy? You don't make it personal. Yes. Shot himself. He didn't shoot you. Now the next, the next plausible thing is he's inside a house, so I have to clear the house. Mm. That's it. That and that was and that's my my mentality. So so how uh, much of that um how much of that is taught, Tony? Is that that's obviously taught through all of your uh, all of your training as a cop? Because correct, correct, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it, some it, some people it, probably it, can't help but associate, I suppose, oh, and then exactly. some people are just are naturally mentally able to do that and and probably not but yeah, yeah i mean but well, that's what that's uh, honestly that's what makes you um uh, the individuals nope. that are that are that could do it every day yeah, yeah exactly you, know, you have to be put um through a lot of series of tests not only physical but uh, emotional um and um when you put somebody and you push them as far as they can possibly go and you break them then they're not designed to be on SWAT just like they're not designed to be on special operations, just like they're not designed to be, you know, the guys that you're going to knock on the door and say, hey, guys, we need you to take care of business. You know what I'm saying? So uh, guys like that won't make it. They won't yeah. make it through the school. They won't make it through. through. And, and if they do make it through the school, when they get on the team, you know, they're, they're on probation the first couple of months. And in the first couple of months, you're going to go through a series of operations. If, you know, the team member sees any kind of like, where he's maybe a little shaky mm-hmm. or he freezes or he doesn't because in the beginning, all operators eh, experience is going to be able to help you and everything you do, obviously to make decisions quickly. Um, and that's what being SWAT is all about is being able to improvise and, and make decisions quickly on the drop of a hat and adapt and overcome whatever's thrown at you. 
Um, in the beginning, you're going to freeze a little bit because you just don't know. You don't have the experience to, to adapt that quickly. Yeah, yeah. But to make some form of decision, that's the key there. Um, I explained to people, you know, all the new operators, the new guys or the, that I trained on or whatever, um, when they freeze or they make a choice that's based off cowardness or fear, that is when you have a problem. Yeah. You, you probably only have such a, such a game of milliseconds between the bad guy making a decision that could be the last decision you ever be, be a part of and then and then you Pretty having to pull the trigger or not you know you know you've got just that because they're not they're not worried that the bad guys normally just self-preservation or, or i feel like i feel like they're probably even more reactionary so you have to be you have to be just so quick that's yeah that's, that's the key there i mean um it's, it's 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 hard it's it's not an easy job um and everybody makes mistakes along the way um uh, but yeah the, the bad guy uh, I would say 99% of the bad times, you know, if we were going into that house for whatever reason, it's because he's most likely a forcible felon. Um, uh, so either he's uh, an armed robbery subject, a home invasion subject, or he's wanted for a homicide murder or a multi-kilo, you know, uh, something that he's looking at 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. These guys are, yeah, most of these guys have a rap sheet already. So they know if they're going to jail, they're going to go to jail most likely for the rest of their life. Right. Uh, so they don't really. It gets to a point where there is like, okay, whether I die here or I in jail for the rest of my life, it doesn't yeah. really matter. You yeah. know what I mean? So, uh, a lot of guys, uh, I would tell you like this: most operations, you know, the good sixty or seventy percent of them, uh, a lot of people give up and nothing happens. You know what I mean? Um, but there's that twenty-five, thirty percent where it turns um, fought their way it's up. Not, yeah, it turns ugly real, real fast. And when it turns ugly, it turns real ugly quickly. Oh, you know, wow. uh, that's so that's so crazy. That's I mean, scary. you can see. Unfortunately, you can see the the thought pattern going through their mind. I mean, like, you, you, there's there's one there's give yourself up and live in jail forever, or there's there's the option of I might make it out of yeah, here right. if I go out all guns Gang blazing, buses. which is fucking crazy that's to do. That's why I think. Um, because police get a really hard rap for always like say it's just a random um, license check for pulling someone over on the side of the road or whatever and always having being so close to their pistol which mm. kind of I think people think looks aggressive but it's it's for that reason that you only have a split second for something to go wrong like you've always got to assume that the guy that you're pulling over is like the baddie from you have to be on yeah I, would, I mean I would say like this see it, nowadays um Obviously, police work has changed over the last probably maybe between five to seven years. Um, it's harder for the patrol guy. It's very hard for the patrol guy because the patrol guy, a regular guy, a regular beat cop, 90 percent or maybe not 90, but let's say 80 percent of the people that he deals with on a regular basis are normal people. Yeah. Are good citizens. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you do 30 or 40 stops out of those 30, 40 stops, unless you're you're you have a good eye, um, you know. Out of those 30 or 40 stops, you know, 20 of them are going to be just a regular person off the street, which you're either going to give a ticket to or whatever. Um, the guys that I used to deal with was a little different. When I used to pull a car over, I wasn't usually just pulling them over because, oh, he pulled, you know, he ran a red light. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. He didn't tell us. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that I was pulling over was wanted for whatever he was wanted for. He's most likely has a gun in the car or whoever's in the car with him is has guns in the car. There's drugs in the car. They're bad individuals. And um, when we're pulling them over, they're be, usually we're in undercover cars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 
and usually we're not it's not just one it's just it's not just me it's usually two or three of us and it's two or three cars that are going to pull them over just because we know that the danger is there mm-hmm. you know so that that type of police officer doesn't get as much heat just because the people you're dealing with are you know are scumbags yeah that's right you know, it's the nature of the job yeah yeah, they they know what time it is. Yeah, the ones that usually get a lot of problems is that that regular guy that stops his car and all of a sudden it went from real nice to like crazy in like three or four seconds, and they make most cops. And I'll tell you like this, you know, and 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 being in law enforcement for so many years, the one thing that lacks uh, in the law enforcement uh, community or or the I could say just law enforcement period is training. Mm-hmm. There isn't enough training for the police officers. So people think that police officers make these decisions because they want to, or because, oh, you know, this guy, oh, he just shot this guy because he wanted to shoot him. No, no cop, and, and, and no cop wants to shoot another person because they know what's coming afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shoot them because they're legitimately in fear for their life, but they just don't have enough training or enough confidence to maybe wait that split second that extra second and realize, oh man, it wasn't a gun mm-hmm. or, oh man, I could have grabbed this guy and took him down to the ground if I knew a little bit better martial arts mm-hmm. or I knew a little bit better hand-to-hand combat or, you, you get me? So, and that's yeah, yeah. the problem. And and it's and the truth is, is, it's not only is it the officer's fault, but it's it's also the department's fault because the department don't want to pay for training. Yeah, yeah. have budget for training. Yeah. So they rather get all these new toys and all these new things Instead of equipping the police officers with proper training. Yeah. And obviously, uh, and what I do, the more you train, the more you become confident in something. You're Definitely. in whatever you do it as a motocross rider, as a, in whatever sport you play. The more you do it, the more you become better at it, the better you become, the more proficient you become at it, and the more confidence you have about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the police work is the same exact thing. You know, uh, it gets to the point I used to tell people all the time, I was like, in the beginning, you, you, you're you you're a little bit crazy. You don't know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. And in the middle, you're already to a point where you're just like, you get onto a scene, people screaming, people yelling, people fighting, and all you're doing is diagnosing everything there and finding out what you can arrest every single person for. Mm-hmm. I used to get on a scene and I would say, okay, that guy, he did this, he did this, I can arrest him for disorder conduct. This guy, I can arrest him for this, I can arrest him for this, this guy's doing this, blah, blah, blah. So within five minutes, I already determined whether or not who I can arrest on that scene. And mm-hmm. that was up to me whether I wanted to arrest him or not. Mm-hmm. So now it's just a matter of, okay, if you want to keep that thing stupid, hey, put chance behind your back, you're in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. deciding what I'm going to do, now it's just a matter of it, it is or it isn't. At the end, all right, you just get so burnt out, you don't even care what they do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to get to... You got a scene, and the people are screaming. I was like, "Oh, I don't even want to deal with this anymore." <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, you got to jail. Yeah. Oh, this guy's screaming again. This person is yelling. I don't want to take him to jail because I'm gonna have to deal with traffic. And then when I get to the, job, I'm gonna have to write the A form. And now I can't even write it. It's gonna take me five minutes to write it. Now it takes me an hour to do it because I got to do it on the computer because I can't write it anymore. Yeah. And those are the things you're thinking about. Mm, you know. Yeah, so it's like that with everything. I guess you know. Uh, uh, Knowledge is power, I tell people, and uh, training builds proficiency mm. and experience will determine, at least in police work, experience probably determines uh, the, whether you live or die. Hey, Tony, small what about, um, what about, I'm not sure, again, if you can talk um, 
freely about it, but I, I can ask you anyway because I really want to know. Can you can you think back to a uh, an operation where you you specifically thought things were on edge here? Like I'd, I'd love to hear about a, a story because I'm sure you've got um, plenty of them. Um, uh, I I mean I could the the, the the problem is with talking with those on on like on on these podcasts and stuff like that. Probably. There's a lot of guys that involved. Yes, and. You know, some of them might still be under litigation for it, and the cases are still might be open. So, so that's why I don't really. We'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries, mate. But, um, hey, Tony, so you always think of. Um, so, you're talking about the fact that in the police force in general, you need more, uh, more training. So, basically, building your skills up is what you're talking about. But what about, like, the general, um, general police, like, just, just the general cop on the street? What's the actual physical training like i mean is that up to standard or because you always see again you see all these like hollywood movies from like the cops the new york cops on the beat and they're these big overweight fat um guys from brooklyn like that there's that stereotype of yeah like donuts and all that yeah 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 like is that a true indication of like the fact that the the training level is not really there or is it a you know is it hard to become a cop and do you have to keep fit in the in the in the active service I, I mean, I would tell you in the stereotype, um, uh, bottom line is, I'll give you the percentages, you know, 90% of cops, honestly, shoot their gun once a year. Mm. Yeah. 90% of cops, 90%, maybe more, 95%. Mm, yeah. Um, they will take the gun out to qualify. That is it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only guys that receive real training and, and are shoot on a regular basis is SWAT. Um, they're constantly, they're constantly shooting and constantly training. Um, other than that, the regular police officer, no, he doesn't, he doesn't shoot. Um, some, some places, some departments have in-house training. Um, but it's not mandatory. And if it is mandatory, it's usually classroom time. Mm, right. It's not actually like survival training. Um, a lot of times, uh, police officers put in for training and they're denied just for the simple fact that there's not enough bodies on the road. Right. There's like, sorry, we can't. Yeah, we don't have the money to pay the overtime. We can't. We can't uh, take this guy off the road because he's going to incur overtime, mm-hmm. and then you know we're going to pay it. So you can't go to training. Right. You know what about what about what about like physical training though? What about like the actual in the in the weights room in that doing cardio, working hard, and being like a fit, strong, active like explosive member like you obviously you're you're the one end of the spectrum there's obviously the other end of the spectrum like where does it yeah. where does it fit for the average cop is it does the average cop look like chief wigan basically <laughs> is what i'm asking <laughs> I, would you, I mean i would tell you no the average cop does not is not fat overweight and completely out of shape um uh, I would say the average cop nowadays is just a regular guy, mm-hmm. you know, a regular dude is five foot eight, five foot nine, you know, and just a, a regular guy that just, you know, he, he looks normal. He's yeah. like a normal dude. You know what I mean, 180 pounds, uh, maybe under six feet. You know, most cops are, they look normal. I mean, uh, lately they've been hiring a lot of younger guys, you know what I mean? And they're 19, 20 years old. Um, uh, but you have cops, listen, I, I know cops that are, Five foot four, mm-hmm. five foot three, 140 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's females on the department that are 105, 105 pounds. You know what I'm saying? So um, it, it's it's hard to say that now. Um, I would say, I mean, fat, fat, fat cops, <laughs> right? 
that some that are severely obese, you don't see that very often, um, especially at least on patrol. Yeah. Just as a simple fact of the uniform is going to look horrendous. Yeah. It's going to look terrible. Um, most guys that you see that are that are really overweight like that um, are usually old timers, guys that have let themselves go. They've been on 25, you know, 20 to 25 years. Yeah, yeah. And won't care anymore. You know what I'm saying? They just like whatever, you know. And and those guys work day day shift. Yes. And probably are yeah are being taken care of anyways. So like for you to see them on a on a call, well you're gonna you're not even gonna see them on a call. Yeah, yeah. But I don't yeah. even. You know what I'm saying? Like it gets to that point when you're like, when you got a guy that's he's got six months left to retire, you know, he doesn't care about nothing. All he cares about is uh, six months. He's like he's counting the days. Yeah, yeah exactly. well, that's kind of what I was what I was wondering is like, obviously it's pretty rigorous training to get into the police force, but then once you're in, I mean, I was wondering if there's like a certain regu- a certain um, fitness level that you have to tick off every year, or but but or is it just like you're in, you're in the police, um, you're in the police force. You can do what you want. You can blow out and be whatever. Because just trying to get a, because you you now like are you training with um with real world tactical? Are you training officers uh, as well I, as I, athletes? I and yeah, I train both. Right. I train uh, uh, law enforcement and then I train civilians. Right. So I have courses. Um, I have courses specializing in, in law enforcement that they just it's a scenario based courses that deal pretty much what they go through on a regular day basis. Um, and then I have courses uh, for civilians, for example, um, just the fundamentals of shooting, you know, uh, you know, level one, level two, level three pistol, level mm. one, level two, level three rifle. And I have some specialty courses like for concealed carry people who have, you know, have guns that always have guns on them. Um, and then also I have like a course where it's called the vehicle counter ambush course where people learn to shoot around the car because most, most, most things like that, like road rage, active shooters, usually happen outside in parking lots and yep. around vehicles. Mm-hmm. So people need to understand the, uh, how the ballistics of, a, of around, what it does, proper use of cover, that the car can afford, how to shoot through the windshield of a car, if anybody attacks you from the outside of a car, things like that, you know. Mm. Um, so, and, it, and with the with the, um, the police officers that you're training, like, is that, where's that coming from? That's the, is that in the budget of the police force that are sending them to the real world, real world tactical? Or are they coming of their own accord? Like, how does it actually work out that you're yeah, training real officers? Sometimes, sometimes the departments pay. Right. And sometimes the officers pay on their own. Right. I've had, yeah, I've had both. And then sometimes um, sponsors uh, get me to teach a class. They pay me. And then the sponsors pay for the students. Okay. Like uh, companies in the in the two way industry, in the tactical industry, for example, maybe like a light company or a, a, a rifle company, will say, "Hey, we're going to sponsor three or four students in this class. Here's the money for them." Right. You get me? Gotcha. I have to like, yeah. So then when I throw the class, what I have to do is I have to pretty much promote their company right. and say, "Hey, this guys, you know, this company, you know, paid for these guys or whatever, whatever." They're, you know, doing a service to you guys to, to help you training and whatever, 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 you know. Hey, uh, Tony, I wanted to ask you something because uh, this has been a, obviously a very contentious and prevalent issue um, in America in the past couple of years. It's the um, the, the, the notion of sort of banning guns um, or, or keeping guns like that pro-gun lobbyists or, or, or anti-guns and that sort of thing. And I wanted to ask you as a as someone who's been in, you know, in the, I guess in the firing line, if you wanted to call that for, for so many years, 
do you think civilians should be armed with guns, or do you think that if uh, if everyone, if, if guns were a thing of the past, uh, people would be safer on the whole? Okay. Um, as we are today, as we are today, mm. yes, I believe civilians should 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 be able to carry guns 100%. Um, the more people, in my opinion, I'll tell you, I'll give you my my honest opinion. Sure. The more people that legally own a gun by law, obviously, uh, they go through the proper background investigation and all that stuff, and they train properly, meaning they know how to use a gun or whatever it may be, the better. Um, just for the simple fact that it usually takes a police officer, an average time of response is usually about a minute and a half to two and a half minutes. Okay. So usually in two and a half minutes, uh, you'll be dead. Yeah, the damage is done. <laughs> you get shot, the damage is done. Somebody's gone, they're gone, they're, the guys are gone. If there's somebody there that can make a difference, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. or can stop threat, then more power to you. As long as you know what you're doing, you get me? But uh, how, So how much, in saying as long as you know what you're doing, so say real-world tactical, say, for example, the laws were um, changed in America that everybody that owns a gun has to be trained professionally to own that gun. Yeah. Just exactly like you just said doing basically uh, what you do, how much training does someone realistically need to be able to, one, aim a firearm and shoot a firearm correctly and two, do so under immense pressure? Because that's what we're talking about, yeah. really. Like, we're talking about... I would, tell you, um, I would tell you, under stress, being able to shoot at 10 yards, um, maybe 10 inches apart, you know, yeah, but about, let's say 12, 12 inches a 12-inch target, for example. All right. Uh, 10 yards out, probably shoot a firearm under stress. I would say probably two days of training. Two days of training, two, right. Two solid days of training. Yeah, right. Somebody who knows what they're doing. A, a reputable instructor. Yeah. I've literally gotten, I've gotten females in my classes before that had never touched a gun ever. Mm. And um, That is me. <laughs> yeah. That uh, And... They never, they never touched a gun, never shot a gun, and by the end of the day, they were shooting the gun um, proficiently mm. and accurately um, and passed my standard test, which is very close to the police academy test. Mm. So how do, you, how do you, in that scenario though, how do you try and, um, again, just going back to the pressure thing, because obviously, oh. like how do you train for people to be able to do this under some sort of pressure because that's that's, that's the and, thing like everyone can train really well yeah. to be good at something and then put them under the pump and a, a lot of a lot of it will just fall to shit you know yeah well that's what i'm known for um, right. my course is you just run out of uh, and yell ah! <laughs> <laughs> <Hello>? no uh, <laughs> the only way the only honest the only way to actually mimic uh stress um or some of the some of the um, attributes that come along with stress is um physically okay mm. um and somewhat emotionally but more physically now physically how do you do that um you have to elevate the heart obviously heart rate elevation mm-hmm. fatigue um uh, exhaustion and making the persons physically and mentally um want to quit right now what i mean by that in my courses I explain to people when they come to my courses, I explain to you, I go, you're not just going to come to my class and learn how to shoot. Any instructor can teach you how to shoot. Anybody can teach you the fundamentals of shooting. 
you're going to come to my class and I'm going to show you that you're able, okay, to survive, okay, and to survive and not only survive a gunfight, but you're able to shoot proficiently while surviving and understanding that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say that, I'm going to show you, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be able to do it. Yeah. You get me? Yeah. Because um, obviously a lot of people don't pass my my, my qualification at the end of the day. Uh, and the, the levels as as they go, go up, my level two, level three, the qualification is a little bit harder making you, uh, because if I teach you something, it's like everything in the world. If I teach you the fundamentals of shooting, mm. I teach you how to shoot in level one, right? But yet you don't shoot again. For seven months and you come to my level two, you're not going to pass. Yeah. You have to continue what I've taught you and do your homework and at least go shooting at least once a month, maybe twice a month to the range. You know what I'm saying? Or take some other formal training in between my level one and level two. Mm. So you can, so your skill, because the skill is pressurable, so your skill maintains where it was after I left you in level one. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So it's up to you. It's up to you. I'm going to show you that you're able to do it. And in my level one, I mean, I'm going to lie to you. I had a guy one time go through the the first half of my class, lunchtime. He was like, oh, can I go get some food at the gas station? And I'm like, sure, no problem. The guy never came back. Right. You know, uh, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And and those individuals are are mentally weak individuals. Mm. They're mentally weak. If you're mentally weak and you don't have the proper mindset and a survival mindset, to be able to defend yourself or defend your family and do what is needed to defend yourself and defend your family, then you have no business owning a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have no business owning a gun. You have no business shooting a gun. Well, you should let somebody else in your family do that. For sure. <laughs> for sure. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I just think there's just so many people that unfortunately I think with America having so many guns, you would, you would have to tend to agree that there's just so many people out there that People aren't born. People aren't born mentally strong. Aren't born mentally cool under pressure. Aren't born to be nope. consistently training. And you know, even even in sport, you know, there's a lot of people that don't just. And sports easy, you know, like people don't yeah. put in the training. They're not. They're not built to be hard workers. They're not built to be consistent. You know, so I think, um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think everyone should have to go through some sort of. You know, sometimes sentiment training. Yeah, my course, I physically drain the person and I put them through an intense, you know, physical thing where they have to fight. You know, they have to do fighting. They have to do uh, some form of fitness or just something to get, make sure that their heart rate is at, you know, 175, 180. um, And then they have to be able to shoot and hit accurately with their heart rate Mm. at 175, 180. And the day, I go through different. I, and I explained to the student, you know, uh, this is, you know, this is elevate, you know, this, this is me elevating your heart rate. This is what it feels like. This is me putting your, your body through some kind of, uh, 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 physical ailments. And this is what's happening to you here. And then this is the fatigue and this is the exhaustion portion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's been proven that uh, most incidences that happen in the urban environment or like in cities or whatever, don't just start off with a gun. A person just doesn't pull a gun out. It starts off fighting. Right. You end up in a fist fight first. Somebody pulls out a knife, yep. or one guy pulls out a gun, then the other guy pulls out a gun. Yeah, it escalates. So, yeah. Yeah. So by this time, your heart is at a buck seventy-five. Mm-hmm. You're freaking tired. You're exhausted. You know, you feel like you want to freaking puke right there, mm. and you still be able to pull the gun out and shoot accurately and, and hit your, you know, hit your target, hit your, tar- your, your threat. So uh, 
I try to, you know, I try to get my students to experience that as best as I can. Uh, so it, at the end of the day, when they earn, when they, and I say they earn the certificate because they earn it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I give it to them, uh, I, I'm not a much of the the trophy for participation kind of guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely, you, you either pass or fail. In my class, you pass or fail. Mm. If you pass, you pass. You get your certificate. If you fail, you don't go to level two. It's very simple. You got to come back to level one. Uh, eh, so you get it. Yeah. Wow, I learned a lot. Hey, you know, yeah, and I yeah. earned this. Yeah, and awesome. I'm confident I can do this. You know what I'm saying? If need be, that's it. That's the bottom line. Awesome. Nothing to it. So yeah. So what's your um? We uh we want to get you out of here at one point uh one point Tony. We're gonna to go to six from six uh shortly. But what's your what's your end goal with um with real world tactical? Like what's the what are you building? What where does it look in five or ten years for you? What will you have achieved? Well, I mean, um, it's obviously building my brand. Uh-huh. Uh, right now, I mean, it, it's hard because I have I have fitness and then I have tactical. Mm-hmm. So I I juggle the two. And it's and it's kind of tough. Um, what I'm what I'm this year is pretty much coming out with as many products as I possibly can by my sponsors. So I have signature products. Like I have my signature rifle coming out. I have my signature pistol coming out. I have a signature range bag coming out. Gear that I'm doing. Um, hopefully a weighted vest that I'll be uh, uh, coming out with. Um, just all these different products. Building my brand. Once all these products are on the market, that I could you know pretty much just put them on the site and they sell. Then it's just market, marketing them, and it's going back to training again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, next year, I'm still training, which I'm still teaching, but it's not my priority right now in regards to like uh, how I was like last year and the year before last. Gotcha. Uh, so I'm still teaching the shooting stuff, and I'm still and I'm giving seminars on my high intensity combat athlete training program, which is the fitness portion of it. Uh, I'm still doing that as well, but. It's not like, you know, it's not like my number one priority right now. My number one is doing the products. Next year, once everything's out and everything, then hopefully I can go back to teaching. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm older. I'm, I'm not old, but I'm not an ancient, but I'm, I'm coming up on 40. Yeah. And a lot of these people, you know, um, I'm, an, uh, I'm an old man in a young man's game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Most mm. of the fitness guys, most of these guys that are, that, um, that are getting out, they're a lot younger than I am. You know what I mean? They're in their 20s or their early 30s. Even the military guys now that are getting out from special operations, they're in their, th- you know, they did maybe 10 years, 12 years, and they're getting out at 30, 31, 32. You know, I ended up doing 18, 19 years before I decided to make this a full-time, you know, my business, you know, it's yeah, full-time. Yeah. Um, so I started a little bit later. You know, obviously, listen, I always, and I always tell people um, to show, to, to be able to teach and to share with people my experiences because I'm no expert whatsoever yes. um, is, is, is my goal. Um, if I can save somebody's life one day because of what I taught them, then it was worth it, bottom line. If the equipment that I put out makes people happy and it, it makes them healthier, makes them fitter, uh, gives them a sense and an inspiration to become, uh, to become better than they were the day before, then I'm good to go. You know, awesome. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't get into this honestly to become rich. Um, it was just a matter of living a comfortable life, just like I'm sure you guys want to, like yep. everybody wants to. Absolutely. You live a comfortable life, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, do the best you can, man. You know, I, people always tell me, it's like, oh, because of this and that. And I'm like, bro, at the end of the day, 
if you're still here, you're walking, you got two arms, two legs, and you're doing something you love, bro, you're ahead of the game, brother. For sure. You're ahead of the game. For sure. You're ahead of the game. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree anymore. Know, how many people you know that are in a job that they freaking hate, they can't stand, and they got to go to that job every single day, and they're getting paid nothing? Or, even worse than that, uh, like I have friends of mine that go to war, 22, 23 years old, they come back after their face is blown off, they're missing both their legs, they're missing their arm, and they got to live, live the rest of their life like that. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, we're it's blessed, pretty, uh, it's very, it's very, uh It's very good to be able to say that you are passionate at least about what you do, that's for sure. There's Make not, your not vacation many, your vocation. Yeah, that's right. There's not, many, mm. not too many people in the world that get to uh, get to say that, really. But, um, hey, Tony, so we've got um, six from six to, to finish off. So there's three questions from me and three questions from Tommy. My okay. uh, my first question to you, my man, is what is your favorite uh, destination on the planet? So your favorite holiday destination. My favorite holiday destination, believe it or not, um, I never really like, I've never been able, since I've been working my, my whole life, like <laughs> career-wise, I never really been like around the world. Yep. Like I've never been to Europe. I've never been to any of those places. I mm-hmm. just never had the money, number one, and number two, I never had the time. Yep. Uh, uh so you're going to laugh at me, but probably like one of my favorite places to go to vacation is uh, Disney World. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> that's great. You can't have a bad time at Disney World. Islands of Adventure down here in Florida is probably one of my favorite places. Just for the simple fact that you get away from life and you're in, Mar- in the Marvel comics for a little while. And then you're just, you know, you're riding roller coasters and eating ice cream and pizza, which I love. So can't... <laughs> Yeah, I'm good with that. Mate, that sounds good. So, well, my next question is one that you, uh, you'll be good with then. So, it's um, your dream destination, somewhere that you haven't been and uh, somewhere that's on top of your bucket list. Um, definitely Hawaii. Yep. I would definitely love to go to Hawaii um, and, and possibly like uh, uh, Europe. Okay. You know, go to Europe, Italy and those different places. All right. I would like to go there. Beautiful. And what about... Um, Okay, my next and final question from me is, do you have any books that you've read that have really positively impacted you, um, whether they're just a, a fun read, a novel, or a, or a, t- a training book, or any sort of um, autobiography? can be anything, anything that you recommend to people. Um, the only one book that I've actually probably ever finished uh, and read, uh, The Five Rings, uh, is a book that I've read, um, which I liked a lot. What's um, the, and what's the what's the five rings? What's the five rings about? It's it's a book based off of, of like uh, war and, and just strategy and things like that. Okay, just uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I've never been a big reader. I, I like pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm an illustration kind of guy. Uh, have tons of Marvel uh, comics, I guess you know. What's your favorite Marvel uh, comic? Oh, uh, my favorite com- Marvel comic, I would probably say Wolverine. Oh, Wolverine. good kill. Good call. I was yeah. a Marvel. I was a Marvel kid growing up for sure. One hundred percent. Yeah, I got a good. I have a good solid collection, man. That I, I still have to this day. That I won't, I won't ever get rid of. You know, when I have children, I'll probably give it to my children and stuff. But. Yeah, I actually have the same. I've um, I've all my. I I was Superman in the DC world, and then uh, Spawn, and just every every Marvel comic you could ever imagine. Spawn, I've, I've I still have the. I have number one Spawn. Yeah, yeah. Spawn was rad. Yeah. Um, I have. My claim to fame, I, I would say my I have my two comics that I have claim to fame uh, for me would be The Death of Superman. I've got that. Uh, <laughs> That's my claim to fame. Uh, 
I have it signed by the publisher, oh, the inker, the drawer. I definitely don't have it signed by anyone. Yeah. <laughs> also, like every guy that was part of that book, I have that, and then I have the certificate of authenticity, Sick. and then I have probably my my number one uh, favorite, one of my favorite comic books was the first appearance of Wolverine. Nice. So, oh, awesome. That's yeah. epic. Um, that's it yeah. for me, Tommy. Hey, uh, Tony, what do you like to do when you've got some spare time? When you've got some downtime? Bro, I'm a movie buff, man. Sick. I, I love to watch movies. Um, uh, people are going to kill me for my rep for this, but I watch it all, brother. <laughs> Chick flicks, cartoon, you name don't, it, bro. Don't, yeah, don't feel I, bad, man. I, I, watched, uh, I watched When Harry Met Sally two nights ago, and I, I fucking loved it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a movie that hey, that's great. a great isn't it ever yeah. I couldn't believe I've never seen it it's I've so never true. seen it it's yeah. so true <laughs> my favorite movie is when Harry Met Sally the scene when she's in the restaurant oh, the scene when she's yeah, yeah. classic yeah, it's classic. sick don't get me started on that <laughs> um, yeah my favorite movies are when Harry Met Sally A Beautiful Mind and Interstellar like I just froth them yeah it's good, it's good. Beautiful. that's another great movie by Russell Crowe oh Pro. man great, great movie man. beautiful movie yeah, yeah I was pit like cause, cause uh who won it oh god um Oh mate, Denzel Washington won uh, won the Oscar training for, day for training day in two thousand one. I I thought Russell Brand should have won it, but anyway, that's a it's a different topic. Uh, Tony, what do you? Who would you say has been an inspiration in your life? Like someone someone big you've looked up to, maybe as a kid or, or someone you look up to now. Well, to be honest with you, man, I I uh, my dad was never really a part of my life, and that's you know how most people say, "Oh, my dad," you know, yeah. Um, he was never really part of my life, so he was never really an inspiration to me. Growing up, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. I really, honestly, I never really had like, uh, uh, I, I've never been. I'll tell you like this: I've never been a guy who's 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 been starstruck. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I've never been a person like, oh man, that guy. You know, uh, you know, I look up. <laughs> yeah, like on, you know what I'm saying? Like on a show or something like that. Yeah. Um, I have people like obviously that I liked, you know, and stuff, but. I've never really had like a role model, man. To yes. be honest with you, uh, it was just pretty much. I would say the only role model that I only had that was, you know, like uh, a person that she 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 pretty much raised me was my grandmother, um, and she passed away when I was fifteen. Mm. So she's about the closest thing probably I could you could say she was a you know that was the closest person to me in my whole entire life. So mm. I would say her. Yeah. Nice, dude. Um, and finally, if you could invite three people to a dinner, dead or alive, who would they be and why? So three people uh, from the past or who are still living, uh, dead or alive, who would they Three people. Number one would be Bruce Lee. Oh. That would be number one. Nice one. Uh, yeah. Number two, uh, you mentioned me earlier, Denzel Washington. Yeah. Uh, and number three, I would probably say just because he's a funny dude and, and brother guy seems like a really – Good dude to sit down and, and talk with would be The Rock, Dwayne oh, Johnson. Man. I love Dwayne Johnson, hundred percent, totally yeah. agree. I mean, but, but like, who doesn't? Exactly, like exactly. Dwayne. Everyone loves The yeah. Rock. Everyone loves The Rock. Every, the, the, the guy's like he can do no harm, and anything <laughs> he touches turns into gold. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, bam, you know. And he's Denzel Washington. Yeah. Just um, since I'm such a big movie buff, um, I think you know between him and maybe like Robert De Niro or Al Pacino are like probably my top three actors of all time. Mm. Uh, for me, Denzel Washington, you know, uh, there isn't a movie that that guy's probably done ever that's, that's been a bad movie. Definitely. Uh, you know, yeah. And, and one of my favorite movies that he did was Men on Fire. Oh, uh, great movie. Uh, 
I would love to sit down and just talk to that guy and, and you know about his experiences mm. and and he's very pro um pro military, very conservative. He's a, he's a you know he's legit. You know he's very legit. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hey, uh, awesome, cool. Thanks, Tony. Hey, finally, mate. Where can people find you? Your social medias, um, anything you want to plug? Now is the time, my friend. Uh, Instagram page uh, is Real World underscore Tactical, and my website is Real World Dash tactical.com uh and then facebook or youtube channel if you just i mean it's really simple man it's gotten to a point thank god and blessed mm. that you just all you gotta do is just google me can't wait till all you have to do is google me oh, oh. <laughs> i really hope i get there one day tony yeah yeah <laughs> you google my name or the real world tactical and it shit comes up pictures everything you name it my ugly mug is on the face there <laughs> yeah, i'll be there all righty you know awesome well, thanks so much for your time, Tony. It's been uh, it's been a real interesting conversation finding out about uh, the, the uh, we don't often interview people that have been through the stuff you've been through. So it was uh, it was fascinating. Oh man, I, I really appreciated you guys giving me the opportunity to be on your show. It was a pleasure, man. Um, it was great talking to you guys. You guys, maybe someday I could meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely, man. Awesome, We'd love dude. that. Have uh, have lunch. Beautiful. Would sounds, love it. Would sounds love good, it. Tony. Bill's going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, brother. And uh, that's a wrap. All righty, guys. Hope you enjoyed that show. That was Tony Sentmanat, fucking boss of a man. Head to his social medias, real world underscore tactical. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's um, it's pretty insane. It, it is pretty insane. Give him give him another follow. He's a, he's a good dude. Because basically he looks like, uh, if you don't give him a follow, he'll... He'll probably eat you for breakfast. <laughs> it's pretty insane. Guys, we are brought to you by Quash Creative. Head to www.quashcreative.com. Get yourself a free basic SEO report on your website or existing brand. That was with our mate, Sean Marsh. Head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF. Get yourself a free credit per month when you subscribe. And as always, guys, head to www.leventurevitravel.com. Get yourself 10% off some merch when you use the promo code RADIO. If you can, guys, give us a like on iTunes and leave a rating and review. We love hearing your reviews, guys. One of the best ones was about old mate who uh, who hooked up with a with a uh, with a hot bird um, because he was doing a bench press and he was listening to the show and we made him laugh. So if you want to hook up with hot chicks or hot dudes, hey, it's 2017. I'm I'm a liberal man. Um, then uh, then uh, give us a rating and review. Until next week. Bye for now.